Mark Jackson and Michelle Smallman here with you on 101 ESPN. We've gotten a lot of news nuggets, Mark, about this NFL yeah. slash St. Louis lawsuit. And Dan Wallach, who's the legal analyst over at The Athletic and, of course, is the co-host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast, has been all over this story. Mm-hmm. And I really want to encourage you to read his latest article over at Conduct Detrimental because he has some great new information regarding this case. And he's joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Oh, good morning, Michelle. Thanks for having me back on. And and equally important, thank you for reading my article. That's very nice of you. Absolutely. We want everyone in St. Louis to read it. There's obviously a lot of interest here locally in this case. And I know that over at Conduct Detrimental, you reviewed a lot of archival documents about this, these guidelines, these relocation guidelines. And you actually uncovered how cities have a role in these guidelines that you think could boost the, the hopes of St. Louis in this trial. So can you share with us what you discovered? Sure. Uh, You know, the NFL has been taking the position for the last four years that this relocation policy is an internal document that the league created and that the league could change it at any time and that it's not a contract and that cities have no uh, contractual rights under it. Uh, I went back and and reviewed congressional hearings over the throughout the 80s and 90s. uh, Congress has held a number of hearings on NFL franchise relocations. Every time teams start moving, uh, you know, these various senators start to call hearings and propose bills. They never go anywhere. But NFL officials testify under oath before Congress. And I went back to 1999 and I discovered that these relocation guidelines um, were part of this congressional record at which uh, Commissioner Paul Tagliabue testified. It was uh, June of 1999 before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he introduced into the record correspondence between the NFL and the United States Conference of Mayors. Now, I've tweeted about these developments before, but I finally put it together in an article uh, to kind of lay it all out chronologically. And and, and how these relocation guidelines came into effect was as the result of a negotiation between the league and the U.S. Conference of Mayors that represent all of the cities with populations of over 30,000 people, the city of St. Louis is a member of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. So the relocation criteria originated in a document uh, to which both the cities and the NFL are parties. It's called the Joint Statement of Principles. And it lays out all of the relocation criteria that now appear in the NFL's amended relocation policy. So the league basically took a a document that was created by the cities, incorporated it, within their own NFL policy and in correspondence between the NFL and the mayor's conference, league officials are representing to these, to to the mayor of new Orleans, that the cities are protected. And uh, these guidelines are intended to protect home markets and protect the cities. And this is the, this is exactly the opposite of what the league is insisting in this lawsuit. They're saying that the leagues, that the cities were never intended to benefit that the, beneficiaries, the only beneficiaries are the NFL and its member teams. I located documents going back 20 years that contradict that, not only written documents, but testimony by Paul Tagliabue, in which he admitted that this city-created document, the U.S. Conference of Mayors Joint Statement of Principles, with all of its relocation criteria, was incorporated 
within the NFL's relocation policy. And throughout those joint statement of principles, there are a, there are a minimum of four references to how these criteria and guidelines are intended to serve the public interest. So it lays up on a silver platter the city of St. Louis's case that they are a third-party beneficiary to the league's relocation policy, and that will give them the right to sue the league and, and, and recover damages under a breach of contract theory, as well well as an unjust enrichment theory, which are predicated on the city being a third-party beneficiary. So I think this closes the loop. So, so uh, Chris, if if this joint statement of principles is out there, as far as you know, has it come up in any of these hearings thus far? And, you know, if it has or if it will, and it clearly, as you mentioned, says that they were intended to protect cities as well as teams and the NFL. So if that's the case, there would certainly be an, you know, an opportunity to get some damages there. How nervous would you be mm-hmm. if you're one of the NFL's lawyers at this point? I'd be uh, substantially more uh, nervous and anxious over the prospect that, that a jury verdict will stick because the difference between uh, – the state of affairs before I found these documents versus the future state of affairs is that all along the judge had made a determination that this is a contract and that the city has third-party beneficiary status just by reading the language of the policy. But if you can take into account uh, the the history and the surrounding circumstances and the out-of-court statements and the correspondence which make crystal clear uh, that the intent of the league was to protect cities. You have admissions from NFL officials that this fortifies the city of St. Louis's claim that they are a third-party beneficiary, and this will go before a jury. And if a jury makes factual determinations that the intent of the parties, I think the judge has already made that determination. But the city, but the jury will ultimately have to look at all the surrounding circumstances and all these documents. And I believe it might make the jury verdict. Uh, bulletproof for purposes of appeal if, if the jury is instructed the right way and the judge handles it properly. It provides uh, uh, ammunition to support the third-party beneficiary status. And all this factual stuff, once it goes to a jury verdict, appellate courts are more likely to pay deference to jury's factual findings than they than a court would uh, uh, accord to a to a judge's pure you know legal analysis. So right now we have a judge's interpretation of law. Once it goes to a jury, all of this information becomes so intensely factual uh, that it's going to be difficult for the NFL to ask an appellate court to reverse the jury's finding on that issue. It basically turns it from a legal determination, which is subject to de novo review, meaning the appellate court can look at it fresh. And it, tra- it translates that or, I guess, converts that into a uh, more deferential legal standard on appeal. And the, and the appellate court would have to view the evidence in the light most favorable to the verdict. And it makes the odds or likelihood of an appellate reversal uh, you know, much longer for the NFL. And I, I, in my view, if, it's, if this is handled correctly, it could give the city a much stronger hand, not only during the trial and on appeal, but in negotiating for a pretrial settlement. 
Dan Wallach, the legal analyst at The Athletic and the co-host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast, joining us here on 101 ESPN. And Dan, Seth Wickersham had a great piece about the owners' meetings and some new information about Stan Kroenke last week. Stan Kroenke had signed the indemnification agreement, excuse me, as part of the relocation, saying that he would cover the legal fees for all 32 teams and their owners. And now apparently he wants to pivot and go away from that. What do you think his chances are of getting out of that indemnification agreement? Well, I I think the issue or the disagreement isn't over legal fees. I mean, these are billionaires uh, paying five to ten million dollars in legal fees is basically walking around money for most of these owners. I think the issue is broader than that, and it, it, it encompasses the question of whether Stan Kroenke is responsible for indemnifying all of his fellow owners for all of the damages in the case. I mean, $5, $10 million is nothing. I mean, he, he, he moved to Los Angeles and tripled, all, more than doubled the value of the franchise from $2 billion to $5 billion. He can afford $10 million in, in legal fees. I don't believe that the uh, owners would be quarreling over what is relatively a de minimis amount compared to the larger amount in controversy. So this, this controversy, I believe, boils down to the language used in the indemnity agreement. And I've heard from, uh, you know, I guess, I guess Randy Carriker reported this, that the indemnity agreement uses the word costs. And there's a question as to whether costs only refers to legal fees or alternatively, whether it covers all the damages in the case. And the difference between the two is going from 10 million under Kroenke's interpretation to two or three billion if the NFL is right. And that's a lot. uh, That's a wide delta between the two amounts. And that's where I believe the fight centers on, not the narrow issue of legal fees. So, Dan, we don't get an opportunity to talk to someone very often with your depth of legal knowledge. But one of the things we like to do in Sports Talk Radio is make predictions, right? So (laughs) I do it all the time. (laughs) I do for me. You know where this is going. Where do you think this by the obviously you don't know what's in the jury's mind. You don't know the individuals probably. But how do you see this ending up? If you were sort of a gambling man now, which side would you bet on? Uh, I would bet on the city of St. Louis, county of St. Louis, extracting uh, uh, an expansion or an NFL franchise out of this deal because I don't really now I don't have any inside information and, uh, you know, maybe people in the know know better. But I, I just can't fathom that the league would want to walk into this, you know, lion's den. Uh, in front of a now a St. Louis jury facing the prospect of an, not only an all but certain loss with potentially a billion dollars or more being awarded, but having the league's dirty laundry aired out over the course of eight weeks, uh, uh, traversing over the time frame at which the Super Bowl is being played in SoFi Stadium um, in California. This is not only a uh, worst-case scenario for the league, but they, they have gone to great lengths to conceal their dealings and to prevent emails from being released. I just cannot fathom all these owners going under oath in front of a jury box with the public in attendance and having their business aired out for eight weeks, knowing what the final result will be. So if I'm in the National Football League's corner and the other owners, the last thing I want to do is write a check. Yeah. Uh, writing a check for a billion dollars is not something that 32 individuals are going to want to do. And this debate over who gets, who indemnifies, what does, what does the indemnification cover, that really elevates the level of risk for all the other owners. And I think the safest way and the least 
punitive way for the NFL to resolve this is to pay as little money as possible. And the only way to accomplish that is by offering something that isn't cash, but might what would be an expansion team. That's how I think this is going to end. I have no knowledge or information about what's being discussed behind closed doors, but this is the most logical outcome unless the NFL is comfortable writing a check for a billion dollars and, and dividing it by 32 and each of the owners kicks in one thirty second. I don't see that as a likely outcome. I don't see a trial happening. I see this being settled either on the courthouse steps or before the first witness is sworn in at the trial on January 11th. Wow. Great information, as always, from Dan Wallach. He's the legal analyst at The Athletic. Listen to his podcast, Conduct Detrimental, and follow him on Twitter at Wallach Legal. Dan, thanks so much for the information and for the time. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Always my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on today, Michelle. Thanks.